Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson sitting on a bed in an Airbnb in Montreal because I completely forgot to record this last week when I was still in the office. So last month, we gathered a bunch of Nerdette listeners on Zoom for a very special craft night. My friend Shannon Downey, also known as Badass Cross Stitch, zoomed in from her RV in New Mexico to chat about how her work combines crafting and activism. It was so much fun to see hundreds of people join in with their crafts from Chicago and Seattle and as far away as Australia. We were all knitting and needle felting and embroidering and doing basically all of the things. And while I talked with Shannon, everyone chimed in on the Zoom chat talking about where they were from and somewhat inexplicably whether or not they were wearing bras, which I have to say was not a topic I introduced, but I was completely delighted to go there. I, you don't have to disclose, Shannon. If you're I mean, look, it's cut off like right here. Why would I put one on? <laughs> so great. And the conversation was so much fun that we thought we would play some of it in today's podcast. So here I am chatting with Shannon Downey, also known as Badass Cross Stitch. First, I thought we should start and just like for people who have not heard about Badass Cross Stitch, but who are like, oh, this is a name that resonates deeply within my soul. Like, how do you (laughs) describe your deal? Oh, yeah. So that's tricky. I mean, (laughs) like, what, what is my deal? I don't know. I mean, like the like low-key version of my deal is like I'm a community organizer just disguised as like a fiber artist so like I use embroidery to trick people into hanging out with me (laughs) and then I make them talk about everything that's super uncomfortable and that you're never supposed to talk to strangers about in public um so that's like the the core of what I do I think that I like my my job in all of this is to encourage and support people at both being beginners at something, taking that risk of trying something new. Yeah, that is new. A, like a vulnerable space to be in, for sure. Totally. It, it, I think it takes so much bravery to show up to something, to try something you've never done as an adult, because we get like so good at like some things, right? Like we spend our entire life getting good at the things we're told we're good at. Um, so naturally we get really good at them. And then we forget how to be a beginner. And so I'm like, come suck at something with me. It's going to be great. (laughs) I'm like, it's a really vulnerable space to be in. And so I'm like, I always want to greet that with like nothing but enthusiasm and support so that those folks will keep, you know, trying new things, whether or not it's embroidery or not, I don't actually care. I just want them to like have that experience of being open um, to being creative and trying new things. So, um, Shannon, I don't know if you know, we're in the middle of like a pretty horrible pandemic situation, which means that like you have had to shift so much from like, I just am picturing the difference between creating a vulnerable, open community space in a room with people who you can see 
and smile at versus like a Zoom situation? Do you think it translates effectively? I mean, I should hope so, given that like you've been doing it hundreds of times <laughs> right. the last couple of years. Um, you know, what's interesting is like prior to pandemic, I was like adamant, like I will never do this online. The magic happens mm-hmm. in the room. Sure. Like, you can't re- like replicate that. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, just kidding. We're totally going to figure out how to make this work online because holy shit. Um, and what was fascinating to me was how easily it translated to online, but it also opened up like everything I was doing were these like micro communities of people who are all in the same, you know, city area. Um, so they had this like elements of a, like a shared lived experience. They had sort of the same community issues that they were able to identify, Um, And when we opened it up to this like global community, suddenly all of the conversations like shifted and expanded. And it was really interesting to see how quickly like cross collaboration started happening and like shared experiences globally, but then also distinctly different experiences um, that were that were coming up and, you know, people offering different solves that, you know, we probably would not have thought of had Um, it not been, you know, somebody from Australia who was like, wait a minute, we had this, here's what we did. Mm. It's something that I've thought about a lot over the past couple of years while interviewing people from the floor of my bedroom closet, right? Because (laughs) like that shifted stuff so much too, right? Because for the most part before that, I was meeting people in a studio and we were interviewing in like a very formal, like high quality audio space, you know, someone would come to the radio station and we would interview there. And sure, there are plenty of advantages to that. But there's also like this weird kind of surprising, I think, vulnerability that can happen when you're meeting someone literally where they're at and in what can be a very comfortable space where like they're just hanging out in their living room having this conversation as opposed to like having to put on hard pants and coming down to the studio, you know? Oh my God, death to hard pants forever. <laughs> yeah. Are we, is that ever going to happen again? No, absolutely not. I'm wearing sweatpants right now. Don't tell. <laughs> I'm wearing purple leggings. I'm very delighted by them. Um, So you talk about activism, like how, I feel like you've kind of hinted at a little bit, but like, did that come before the crafting for you then? Yeah. I mean, activism has been my life. Um, And then I, I was, so I was running a digital marketing company for 10 years and I was like connected to a device 24 seven and I hated everything. Um, and I had no choice other than to be connected to these devices. And I was like, I have to do something with my hands. I need something analog. And I came across like a Star Trek cross stitch pattern on Etsy, which is like, nobody loves Star Trek more than me. Don't even try it. y'all. <laughs> this is not a fight that you want to have. Um, And so I was like, oh my God, I think I remember how to do that. Like I learned in fifth grade when I was forced to make a pink bunny and that's stupid. So I never did it again. Yeah. And so I get this pattern, I download it, I stitch it and I'm like, oh, one, that was hysterical. Two, now I have this delightful little Captain Picard to hang in my house. But three, like I felt different. And I like the next day I had like three good ideas. I hadn't had a good idea in months you know, and I was like, oh, it's so interesting that I like was able to check out of the digital world for a couple hours without feeling anxious about it because I was using my hands in this very tactile way that I I wasn't even thinking about the device because I was doing something with the hands that are always using the device. Um, 
and so very quickly it shifted from Star Trek um, <laughs> to just like using it as time to make space for myself to think substantively about the things that I was working on and the different issues and causes and movements that I was working in and supporting. Um, and then I found as I was like stitching these pieces, you know, I'm, I'm having these, <laughs> we'll go with profound, profound thoughts, right? You can't mm -hmm. say that about yourself, but I was having pretty deep I thoughts. <laughs> I think you can, Shan. I think we should own that, right? <laughs> right. I, I had a few profound thoughts in my day. <laughs> and I was like, I should share these with people because I bet, I wonder if I can use this as a way to engage people online around these topics. So I started posting, but then posting my writing. So the idea was that the piece was going to stop people from scrolling mm. and then get them to read and then the content would get them to engage and then it was like working more with shannon downey from our event hearts and crafts in just a minute nerdette is supported by the sympathizer podcast from hbo join host philip nguyen in conversation with the cast crew and author viet tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events. So we have like a bunch of really good questions from people here. Um, one of them, this is like deep embroidery nerdery, which I'm super into, is how do you keep your thread organized? <laughs> We're just going straight to it, Shannon. No, 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 no. I laugh so hard because um, every sun or at the beginning of pandemic, it was every Sunday. Now it's two Sundays a month. I host a Sunday stitch up and everyone's invited. Um, and it's now turned into like a little cult, I would say. And it's a very positive cult. And there's no rules and no one in charge. So well, I don't know that that counts as a cult, but it's like my version of a cult, right? The best so, possible cult possibility. <laughs> so one of the bigger um, points of amusement is how everybody organizes their floss. And like, I really make fun of my hyper-organized folks because it, like I'm not, I'm not built that way. Mm -hmm. I don't organize my floss. My floss is chucked in a bucket oh, and it is chaos. Also I'm colorblind. So oh, like, I always forget that. like, I don't actually like most of my pieces are monochromatic black and white, or just like a couple colors because like, I can't see it. So what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest in like making some big colorful thing that I can't see. Um, also it makes it harder to do. So, uh, so I just chuck it and like, I don't care, but my, my people are so organized and there are so many systems for organizing. I call them bobbinators. I so am seeing a lot in the chat about bobbins. I will yeah. Say. So I'm like, why would you spend time putting things on a bobbin and like re, I mean, oh, that just feels like a ton of work, oh. but I, you know, but I love it so much. And also I show them my bucket of floss and they like 
cringe and cry. And so it's this beautiful um, joke amongst us. So the the short answer is I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Sherry wanted to know, Sherry said, I get how you use your work to communicate messages, but how do you use it to organize communities? Yeah. So it's a series of things depending on what's happening. Like, I mean, when I say organized communities, it's really about like creating communities. So anything that I can do to create opportunities for people to come together and connect. Um, And then the idea is that while I might be the catalyst that brings them together, I want to be able to leave and have that community exist as a community because it's not about me. Right. So it's like, I sometimes have to be the mechanism that that brings folks together but then it's like how do I create a space where that community um continues on and and solidifies and then you know does work has impact um a lot of times I'm coming into a space that already exists um and I'm supporting whatever work is going on in their community and um, finding like creative interventions to help them support the work that they're doing um, and expand it a little bit and get more people engaged and involved. So it becomes like a recruiting tool almost. Does that make yeah. sense? That- can you, can you talk a little bit about your, how to be a good human? Cause I feel like that is a great example of what you're talking about right now, where you're like finding the right people to talk about certain things and amplifying the, you know, the links to, and like getting people to show up to this stuff, but you're not like a primary component of it aside from that. Yeah, no, I mean, I hope it's never centered on me, but it's about like, um, you know, getting the people in the room. So how to be a good human was just me listening. And so I heard my community, um, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, particularly at a time when the, um, xenophobia was, um, like sort of at its, you know, initial highest um, around anti-Asian violence. And I heard people say like, I want to do more. I want to do more, but I don't know what to do. And then I I heard things like, I would have no idea what to do if I saw somebody being attacked. Like, I don't know how I would react or how I would intervene. And I realized like, I have this privilege of like having grown up in the labor movement, having grown up in different movements. So I have all of this knowledge um, that was learned Right. And so when I say just go do something like that's not helpful for people who don't, you know, like haven't been taught what to do. So I thought, oh, well, let me partner with Asian Americans Advancing Justice because they're doing bystander intervention trainings. um, And I'll just like offer some free workshops, invite people in. Um, They can do a one hour workshop and learn about, um, you know, what to do if you're witnessing race based violence out in public. And it was like transformative for people. Um, And even for me, like I thought I knew and I did know, but then they were offering up things that I'd never dreamed of. And I was like, oh, this is so good. Um, And so that sort of launched this how to be a good human series where I was like, what other things do people want to learn how to do? And, you know, I was like, a lot of us learn CPR, but like how many people know how to administer Narcan or how to identify a drug overdose from just a drug situation. Um, And so I teamed up with harm reduction out in New York and we offered Narcan trainings. um, And then we went further and how to talk to young people about drugs from a harm reduction lens. And then I was hearing all these people saying they wanted to go to therapy, but they'd never done it before. And I was like, oh my God, let me call my therapist. So I was like, Hey girl, do you want to run a workshop on like therapy 101 for people? And she was like, of course. (laughs) 
So Shannon, something we haven't talked about yet, which Allison kind of asked about is like the history of crafting and craftivism, which doesn't always align with uh, what you are doing these days. And Allison specifically mentioned like quilt making among people who were enslaved. Um, but I don't know, like, I know you've been thinking about this stuff a lot lately, especially when it comes to sort of the like traditional demure, feminine, you know, quietness of crafting in general. Um, what's, what's your take on that? Well, so I think of craftivism on a like long historic global scale. And so while the word is new, right, like 2003 was when this word came about, like this is not a new thing, right? This has been going on since the beginning of time, craft and art as um, like social movements and in support of political, you know, actions and whatnot, Um so, I mean, everything from like the Swadeshi movement and thinking about Gandhi as like, you know, making your own textiles, going back to your like pre-colonization traditional, you know, dress and then like not buying British <laughs> textiles. Right. 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 Um, you know, so that like boycott craftivism as boycott. Um, all the way to like someone like Phyllis Latour Doyle, who was a spy during World War II um, and in like Nazi Germany and like gathering intel and like knitting it in Morse code and sending it back to her team so that they could make strategic military decisions, right? Like all of that to me is, you know, like craftivism. It's just this new word that we've sort of put on it. Um but it's not a new thing, right? Like, we're just sort of like, hey, this is a good word. That's fun. <laughs> it's cute. I mean, it's catchy. Yeah, like, you can pull yeah. a shag on there and everybody's going to love it, right? Totally. Um, I think my my tension with the the modern movement, which is like, you know, people kept assigning me the word craftivist when I started and I hadn't heard it before. And I was like, ah, oh, it's a fun word, craft, activism, craftivism. Yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. I mean, you're doing it. Yeah. And then, um, but then like I was in the spaces and I was like, ah, this doesn't feel right. It just doesn't sit right with what I'm doing. And it took a lot of years of like really dissecting that to understand where my tension was. Um, and I think that the tension was really around um, craftivism being positioned as like an alternative to traditional means of activism. Um, and in some cases, the language around it being framed as almost like it's a it's like a more thoughtful way to be an activist. Right. So there was some like real judgment going on um, through the language that was being chosen around like traditional means of activism and extreme means of activism and resistance. And I was not OK with that um, because I think craftivism has a beautiful space in the social justice ecosystem, but it's not like an alternative, right? It's a, it's, it's a space. It's also a support mechanism, right? That should be accompanied with other activism tools and methods. But the other thing that I was really struggling with, and I've only recently like sort of figured out is the idea of like some of the words that get thrown around, like um, gentle, humble, quiet. Um, Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, you're really picking words I hate. Well, and, and it kind of reminds me of something else that you've ranted about recently on the internet, which is the whole idea of like, this isn't your grandmother's knitting. Oh yeah. I hate that. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Why do you hate that for people who, for whom it's not obvious why you would hate that? 
<laughs> I mean, it's wildly fucking insulting to say like, this is not your grandma's craftivism. Like your grandma was throwing down, right? Like, for real, like look at the artistry, look at the incredible skills that have come before us and our elders and ancestors. And it is an insult to say, well, this isn't that because that is somehow less, I don't know, important, less interesting, less powerful than this. Like we just have space now that we can take up because of the work that they did. And because of the work that they did, we're allowed to say things um, that they weren't necessarily allowed to say. And so it's, like super important to, and there was a lot of subversive shit going on, right? It just wasn't as um, in your face as we're allowed to be now as a byproduct of the work that they did. So it gets me woo, fired up. <laughs> well, cause it like, it is your grandmother's crafting. Literally. And like, <laughs> like half of what I stitch on is literally grandmother's work that I am just adding to right, right? Like when I buy these pieces up at estate sales and antique shops because the artistry and the technique is astounding yeah. and I want to work with that and the fact that they're for sale for 50 cents in an estate sale is like ugh, infuriating yeah <laughs> We got a question from someone who works at a job that's really demanding and is the opposite of creativity. And they said it's made them forget what it's like to be creative and wondered if you had advice for being creative again after many years. You know, the thing about creativity is the more you are creative, the more creativity appears, right? Like it expands. It doesn't, it's like love right like the more the that, you can never run out um and it just grows and grows and grows and expands and so I'm always like oh if you've fallen off the creativity bandwagon um which absolutely happens um just like find one thing do one small creative thing and then like follow that follow that track because it's it's just gonna keep going Thanks for listening to that excerpt from a live event we did back in February. If you're like, how do I find out where Shannon will be next? Check out her website, badasscrossstitch.com. Thanks to everyone who came to the event and helped make it fun. That bra thing, it was just so good, y'all. Also, thanks to everyone on WBEZ's community engagement team who helped put this event together, especially Eddie Madrano, Marquita Wiggins, Asha Lee, and Alex Keefe. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.